Hello again, everyone. I'd invite you, if you have a Bible or an electronic device, to turn to John chapter 17. Has anyone ever prayed for you out loud by name? Hopefully, that's something that you experience, uh, maybe in your home, uh, in your life group, with a friend. Someone's praying for you by name. Uh, this week, with the staff, someone, we were praying for, for one another, and someone said, uh, you know, let's pray for Dan, and they prayed for me. And uh, do you know what they prayed for me? I'm not going to tell you, but they prayed for me. <laughs> Some things. 2,000 years ago, Jesus, just before dying on a cross, prayed for you, for his followers. What did he pray for? When you read your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the accounts about Jesus, you find that before he began his ministry, he was praying. Who is he praying to? He's God. He was praying to the Father. Jesus, the Son of God, was co-equal with the Father and with the Spirit, co-eternal. But he chose to come under the Father, to subordinate himself to the Father. And so he would pray, Father, your will be done. So he prayed as he began his ministry, before he began his ministry. He prayed during his ministry. You'll probably count over 20 times a reference to Jesus praying. And then even at the end of his ministry, before the cross, he's praying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus prayed but he prayed specifically for you before going to the cross. What did he pray for? What was on his heart and was so compelling that he uttered that to the Father? And so that's what we're looking at today. May God speak to you. May you live out his vision for you as we look at our uh, text today. So I'm gonna invite you before we begin, if you would uh, like to bow, just take a moment, and would you say uh, to God, God, please speak to me through your word. Uh, God, I wanna do your will, I want your favor to be on me. Would you take just a moment and then we'll begin. John chapter 17 and beginning in verse 1, this is sometimes referred to as the high priestly prayer. Jesus praying it just before he went to the cross. And by the way, his prayer for you wasn't a one-off. According to Hebrews 7, he ever lives to make intercession for you. So you're on his prayer list, prayer list even right now. John chapter 17 beginning in verse 1. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. Just before the cross, it's just hours away, he's been instructing his disciples that he is leaving them, but he's giving them hope that they will see him again. And he's instructing them, uh, here's some things I want you to know. And as they're making their way to the garden, 
Somewhere along the way, there's this high priestly prayer. And he prays out loud for them, those disciples, but also for you and me. And notice it says he looked toward heaven and prayed. That was his posture. That was the Jewish custom in that day that you would lift up your hands to the throne and you would pray out loud. Today we sometimes, we uh, fold our hands, bow our heads, close our eyes, because maybe that helps with distractions. But Jesus lifted his hands and he prayed. Father, the hour has come. The hour referring to the cross, his death, his suffering. Lord, it's right here. I can see it. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Lord, honor me. And what he was really praying is, help me to accomplish what I came to do, to die on the cross. Help me that you may be glorified. Help me to die on that cross. Now, when we look at a cross, uh, it was an execution, a uh, 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 means of execution. It was shameful, but yet because of what he would do, it would be glorious. Lord, help me. Verse 2, for you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. He has authority over every single person on our, in our world today. And he says that through his cross, through his death, he would give eternal life to those the Father had given him. That it was through his death on the cross that we could have eternal life. And when we think of eternal life, when you think of eternal life, what do you think of? Often we think of uh, the quantitative aspect. We're going to live forever and ever and ever. That's a long time. Why are we going to live forever and ever? Because we're going to have resurrection bodies that are not subject to death and decay. It's hard for us to get our minds around just forever. So we think of the quantitative aspect of eternal life, but do you also think of the qualitative aspect of life? And Jesus describes that qualitative aspect. Look what he says in verse 3. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is life with God. It's a relationship with God that they would know you. Uh, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, we're glad you're with us. But when Jesus invites you to eternal life, he's not inviting you to go to church for the rest of your life. He's not inviting you to be a good person. He's inviting you to come into a relationship with him, realizing that you need him, realizing that 2,000 years ago he hung on a cross and paid the price for your sins so that before a holy God you would be made right. You'd come into a relationship, a union with God. Verse 4, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Jesus came to our earth, took upon human flesh, the Son of God, so that he could reveal God to us. What's God like? Oh, look at Jesus. What does God want me to do? Follow the teachings of Jesus. But his primary purpose for coming to this earth was to die on a cross for you and for me. Lord, the cross, the hour is at hand. Honor the Son that I may honor or glorify, that they may glorify you. And then verse 5, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. That's his prayer. And we, 2,000 years later, celebrate that he did go to the cross, that it is finished. He finished the work. We celebrate what he has done 
for us. We join in that celebration. It's kind of like cheering for your favorite sports team. If you don't have a favorite sports team, can I encourage you um, to, to prepare your hearts? The men's uh, soccer team uh, is in the World Cup in the fall. Wow, yeah. Awesome. It's been like 30 or so years. Okay, you need to be ready to cheer in the fall for them. I mean, the women have been in the World Cup for years and years. But the men, okay, finally. Some of you cheer for the Blue Jays. Some of you cheer for the Raptors. Some of you cheer for the Maple Leafs. Now, have you ever met a Toronto Maple Leaf fan? I know that we've got some in here, right? And they're faithful Maple Leaf hands, fans. But have you noticed when you're talking to them, some, some of the times they'll say, yeah, we won last night. And technically, you can say, you didn't do anything. <laughs> you were on your couch eating Cheetos while they were winning. Or, sorry, you lost last night. But they didn't play. But they're, they've got this union with their team. This union we have with God through Jesus is much stronger. And that's why week after week after week we come together to glorify God and what he did on the cross for us. He finished the work so that we could have a relationship with him. So Lord, help me as I do that. And then he transitions to pray for the disciples and for us. Look what he says, verse 20, as we follow his prayer. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So he, he prays for his 11 disciples there, but then he prays. He looks down through history, and he prays for those who will believe in me through their message. If you believe in Jesus, if he's your Savior, he's praying for you. And what's his prayer? That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I pray for Jack and John and Carol and what are some of the newer names with the kids today? Uh, Henry and Charlie. I'm praying for all of those that you've given me that they will be, notice what it says, one. Not some of them, not a few of them, but all of them would be one that they would be united. But notice what our unity is based on. It's not based on the fact that we all like horses or that we all eat meat or don't eat meat. It's based on the unity of the Godhead. Father, just as you are in me and I am you, just as we are one and there's harmony that they would be one. If you're a Christian today, the moment that you gave your life to Jesus, you became a new creation, your sins were forgiven, you have eternal life, your new creation, you have a new destiny, you're going to heaven to be with Jesus, but you also have a new family, that you, giving your life to Jesus, came into a family with other brothers and sisters. And your relationship with other Christians is not based on what you do. It's based on the fact that you're in relationship with Jesus and the other person is in relationship with Jesus because he finished the work on the cross. So we don't create our unity here at Woodside as Christians. Oh, let's try to get along. It's already created. We're called to fight for it, to keep it. What we are in position, we are one as brothers and sisters in Jesus, we are to work out in 
practice. Augustine, back in the fifth century, said it this way. He said, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. So in the essentials of the faith, things that are black and white in Scripture, the deity of Christ, the sufficiency of Christ, the literal bodily resurrection of Christ, the second return of Christ, and that Christ's word is the eternal word of God. Those things are essential. They're black and white. And we have other things in Scripture that are black and white. And so on those things, there needs to be unity. As we say with Martin Luther, here I stand, I can do no other. And as a church, we're not moving. In all things, in essentials, unity. But in non-essentials, things that maybe aren't clear to us, and there's difference of opinion, and we call them secondary issues, there's to be liberty. We're to give space to other Christians who maybe don't hold to the exact view that I hold to. In all things, charity. That as a follower of Jesus, the essential fruit he wants to produce in my life is kindness, is love, is grace, is mercy. That's what he wants to produce. So no matter with other Christians where they are, I'm going to love them. It is so easy today to divide into tribes and to say, we are good, they are bad. But Jesus doesn't call us to that. He calls us to hold truth's intention. So let me talk about just a few secondary things that can cause disunity and division in the church. First, there is God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. We're saying, oh, there's verses that teach that. There's some that seem to teach that. And so there's some people that would hold more to God's sovereignty and uh, Calvinism, uh, what John Calvin, as he looked at Scripture, I'm, I'm kind of over on this side. And then there's others that would hold to what Jacob Arminius taught, Arminianism, and, uh, oh, that's human responsibility. But in reality, whether I'm on this, I have this position or that position, it's not clear to us at present, and so we give some space. A mode of baptism is another. Hold to this. There's some other Christians that hold to that. Women's role in the church, hold to this. Some people hold to that. When Jesus comes again, end times events, some hold to this, some hold to that. And wherever we are on the spectrum in these gray areas, secondary issues, we have to give space to others that feel differently, that we have to work together still. Now, sometimes a distinctive might be so important to a person that they say, you know what, I, just, I, I need to be in a church where it's like this, that's okay, but you, you're doing it with love, in a spirit of love. You're not fighting and dividing over these secondary issues. If someone was ever to, like, here's an example of how this plays out under Jesus. But Jesus, in those first 11 disciples that heard this prayer 2,000 years ago, they were right with Jesus. One of them was Simon the Zealot, and one of them was Matthew the tax collector. Okay? So they had different views when it came to politics. I'm glad we don't have that today. <laughs> Simon the Zealot was part of this first century group that sold out, that they hated the Romans. The government was evil. The emperor had to come down. And a zealot took a vow saying, 
I will use violence if necessary to push the Romans out of our country. So that's Simon the Zealot. Over here is Matthew, who sold out to the Romans. In a sense, shook their hands and said, I'm going to work for you. Didn't like it, but he did it to get money. And they are in the same life group. They're walking around with Jesus for three years. Can you imagine uh, Matthew at night? I don't know about you, but I'd be sleeping with one eye open. <laughs> that guy took a vow to kill anybody that kind of sympathizes with Rome. But under Jesus, somehow, they showed love to each other, even though they had different views. That's what we are called to. And this is nothing new, where we have to work and fight for unity. You look at the church right through history. It's always, it's one thing or another. In Ephesians 3, Paul writing to the church at Ephesus says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. To the church at Rome, make every effort to do that which leads to peace and mutual edification. Church at Philippi, church at Corinth. Can you believe it? Christians might not agree on everything. All through history. And we, at Woodside, have to fight for unity as well. And when we're fighting in a position for unity, where we have a close relationship with God, we'll be fighting with love, joy, peace, patience, because those are the fruits of the Spirit. Paul says to the churches of Galatia, when you're close to God, this is what it looks like. But he says when you're not close to God, here's what it looks like. And he calls them acts of the flesh or fallen nature. What are they? Hatred, dissension, discord, factions. I'm of this tribe, you're of that tribe. I don't like you, and you don't have to like me. That's not of God. That is of our fallen nature. So let's talk about just the political situation at present in this pandemic and vaccination, uh, vaccine passports and restrictions. And please hear me. I'm not saying one view is better than the other. What I'm saying is this, is whatever view you and I hold to, we're to give space for the other view, and we're to always do it in love. So if I'm on this position or that position, and by the way, vaccinations and, and losing your job or the potential of being left, those are other conversations. Those are big deals. So this is not something, unity, where we just like, oh, let's all get along and sing kumbaya. No. We have to work at this. But regardless of the position, I'm showing love. Someone has said the essence of Christian maturity is having a high tolerance for ambiguity. And it's so true. It's where I feel strongly about this on this issue, but you feel differently, and that's okay. We can still talk and work together. Jesus prayed that we would be one. Charles Spurgeon, back in the, in the 19th century, pastor of the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, England, um, and there was conflict in that day as well among Christians, and he said this, we need to have a warm corner in our hearts for every true Christian. Let me say that again. We need to have a warm corner in our hearts for every true Christian. If Jesus died on the cross for a Christian, if that person is precious to Jesus, you need to have a warm heart. And if you don't, you need to start praying, Lord, help me. Oh, Lord, work in my heart that even though I may not agree with that other Christian, Lord, they matter. 
You know your heart is filled with God's love and grace when you've emptied your pockets of rocks. I want to ask you today, are your pockets empty or are you throwing stones in person or online with other Christians? It is so easy to get caught up into the spirit of the world where we're mean, we're unkind, we find what's wrong with every single person. Oh, did you hear that? This, just blah, blah, blah. Like, it's so easy. That's not Jesus' vision for your life. That's not what he's praying for you and for me. Now, notice he prays for our oneness, but it's connected to our mission. Pray that they be one so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That's John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Oh, Lord, may people see our family that we're getting along and working together so that they would see, really, John 3.16 on display. Which side is John 3.16 on display? Jesus is the most important thing. Is it on display at our church? Is it on display in your life? Or is something else on display? I'm all about this issue. Or no, I'm about Jesus. This is so important to Jesus that he actually repeats the prayer. Notice what he prays in verses 22 and 23. I have given them, that's you and me, the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity, perfect oneness. What we are in position, we live out in practice. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. That we love each other so much that a watching world we get their attention. And our attention is not to focus on ourselves, but is to focus and help them to see this God that loves us. We're a compelling witness to something greater than all of these issues. When there is division and disunity in a church, it disfigures the truth of the gospel. We're misrepresenting the gospel. It hinders the advance of the gospel. Disunity in the church breeds atheism in the world. Watching world right now, looking at Christians in the church fighting one another, they're like, I don't want any part of that. Who needs that? Years ago, it used to be uh, hypocrisy was the big thing. Now it's unity in the church. It's not an excuse for not believing, but it's not a compelling witness from the church. I don't want anything to do with that. And a person that says, Listen, I don't barely speak to that other Christian anymore, and there's a wall up. That's not of God. What that is, is a reflection that that person, that you and I, we don't know the gospel and how big it is. It reveals a lack of gospel depth, that Jesus is so much bigger. Did you know that this issue will probably pass? And there'll be another one that's coming up that we don't know about, and then another one, and another one. Down through time, it's one issue after another. In Paul's day, uh, it, there was the, a number of issues. Uh, the big one was whether they should eat meat sacrificed to idols or not. Another one was holy days. When you're a Christian, you have to observe these Jewish holy days. Another one was circumcision. All of these issues, they're not new. Interesting, Paul, in Romans chapter 14, he says... When it came to this issue, so if you could picture him, uh, Paul in church, and he says, listen, 
here's my opinion, here's what I think is the right response. But then he says, and it's okay for you to have a different response. And then he calls all the people in church at Rome and he says, don't destroy the work of God for food. Don't destroy the work of God for politics or whatever the issue is. Why? For the kingdom of God is not about food and voting and who you vote for. The kingdom of God is about righteousness and joy in the Holy Spirit, in, in the family. It's about a relationship. Don't destroy it. Work together. Allow. You don't insist that someone has to change their view. You may think you have the correct view, and that's okay, but you're not going around bullying people and insisting that they have that view. Well, let's talk just for a moment about Woodside. Have we experienced this at Woodside? I will say as a pastor, I, this church, there is a unity here. Now, granted, there's hiccups and, and things like that, but I am so grateful for that. And I just want to remind you, or sorry, share with you, that it really starts with the elders and the staff. For two years, I mean, before this, with other issues, we fought for unity. But for two years, we've been this whole vaccination and should we do this and not do this and praying about it. We fought to stay together among the un uh, staff and the elders. Did you know there's a few different opinions there? Can you believe it? One person say, I think we should do this. Another, oh, I think we should do this. And, uh, and around and around we go. But you know what? Around those two tables, we make much of Jesus. We want people to see him. And so we give each other the benefit of the doubt. We're believing the best in the other person. We're praying together, encouraging one another, even though we always don't see eye to eye on things. And that's what Jesus calls our whole church to. Are you here today saying, you know what? I'm going to work with other Christians to stay one. Or are you here and you're saying, yeah, but. I know Jesus prayed that, but people need to know what the right opinion is. Jesus prays for our unity, that we be united in him. But then notice, he prays that we would be reunited with him. That Jesus is praying for you to be one, so you'd be on mission, until the day you're with him. Notice what he says in verse 24. Father, I want those, that's you and me, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. What was the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit doing before they spoke creation into existence? There was this Trinitarian love, one together, community. And Father, we're inviting them into that Trinitarian love and unity, that they'd be one. And oh, Father, I'm praying for the day that they'll see my glory, that we'll see Jesus in all of his glory. Glory always has to do with weight and beauty. That Jesus is saying, oh Lord, I want them to be with me, to see it, to experience it. Have you ever asked yourself why you're invited to a birthday party or to a graduation or to a wedding? Chances are, not always, but chances are, the people that are inviting you want you to be there so that you can share in their joy and experience it with them. And that's what Jesus prayed, is that you, as his follower, would be with him on that day. 
He wants you there. How cool is that? He goes on to say this in verse 25 and 26, verses 25 26. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, just let's pause for a moment, remind ourselves, we're on mission here at Woodside. There's people that, were, that are like what we once were. We didn't have a relationship with God. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. As Jesus is praying, oh, that they'd be invited, invited into our oneness and into our love. That's his vision for us at Woodside. Oh, they'd be one and oh, they'd work together so that people would see John 3.16. They'd see our glory. Okay, so let's uh, talk now about what does that look like? What are some steps we can take, practical steps? How to keep unity in Christ. Again, we don't create it. We're called to keep it, to fight for it. And we're to make every effort. And again, at Woodside, we've experienced this, but friends, we need to excel at this. That's what God's calling us to. Number one, keep the gospel central. Keep the good news central. What's the news? Jesus came to this, wor to this world, and he lived, and he died, and he rose again. He died so that we could be brought into a relationship with God and have eternal life. It's the cross. It's all about that. That's the good news. That needs to be kept central. We don't allow that to become peripheral. And we don't allow what's peripheral, these issues, to become central. So I want to ask you in your life, is Jesus the most important thing or is it an issue? And there's a host of issues. Is that the most important thing in your life? That's what you want people to know. Or do you want Jesus? As a church, we need to keep the gospel central. Number two, commit to the church. We see in Scripture we're called to be part of a church that's why we lift up church membership here. We ask you to consider it. Because when you become a member of the church, what you're saying is, is that I'm in relationship at Woodside with other brothers and sisters. That I'm on mission together with my brothers and sisters. That I'm committed to my brothers and sisters here at Woodside. That I'm going to roll up my sleeves, and when there's things that maybe we don't see eye to eye on, I'm going to work hard at that so that we maintain the oneness. Number three, learn to forgive. This is a big one. Learn to forgive. I want to ask you this morning, when you came to church, do you have a heart, a posture, that is ready to forgive other people? People in a church where there's unity, they're quick to forgive. Because they're close to Jesus, and they remind, this is what we were singing this morning, that Jesus showed them mercy and grace and love when they didn't deserve it. And as I stay close to Jesus and remind myself of the cross again and again, then that love and forgiveness can flow out of me to other people. And I can extend it to people that I don't think even deserve it. But God, you're going to help me to forgive. And just a heads up, if you're new to Woodside, glad you're here. But I got to tell you, the people that are here at Woodside, they're human beings. And they're fallen. And chances are you might be misunderstood one time in the next 20 years. Or you might be left out sometimes with no intent. It just happened. Or you might be offended. That's a worst-case scenario. Okay? That might happen. Hope it doesn't. But you as a follower of Jesus, you're quick 
to forgive other people, to receive, to give what you've received from Jesus. That's why when we have that posture of loving one another, forgiving one another, bearing with one another, accepting one another, it prevents us from a posture where we're criticizing one another, pressuring, shaming, defeating one another, embarrassing one another, interrupting one another, excluding one another. Those things are not of God. As Paul said in Ephesians 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. And he tells them how to do it. Be humble, be gentle, be patient, and bear with one another. When I'm close to Jesus, don't always feel like doing that, but Lord, I'm going to do it because you've called me to it. So you're forgiving other people. You're not going around with walls built up. I'm avoiding that person. I don't talk to that person. I don't necessarily like that person. None of that. Number four, learn to listen. Do you listen well? Are you quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry? Do you listen to understand, not simply to reply? When someone's sharing a view, one of those secondary issues that is totally opposite of yours, are you saying, Lord, help me to understand what they're saying? Maybe there's something in there that I need to change in my life, posture of humility. Lord, help me to listen well. And we're doing it with a responsive nature, not a reactionary nature. A reactionary nature is when I go into a conversation and just like, this person said this, and next thing I know my blood pressure's up here and I'm going all over the place. A responding nature says, Lord, I'm aware that this might be a little emotional, but I'm, I'm okay here. Help me to listen to understand. Proverbs says, life and death are in the power of the tongue. Lord, help me to speak life even though I may disagree. Help me not to speak death. Number five, contribute to the mission of the church. I'm fighting for unity. I want to um, stay close to my brothers and sisters, but I'm also on mission here at Woodside. I'm doing things with people, brothers and sisters, for people, in the name of Jesus. Because it helps us when we're serving to get our eyes off of us and my life and my views and put it on to other people. Lord, I'm going to bake a cake for that person. Lord, I'm going to make a meal for that person. Lord, I'm going to help out driving that person. Lord, I'm going to help out with their children, or I'm going to help out with the youth, or Lord, I'm going to look after the neighbor's dog. Whatever it is, Lord, I'm a mission for you. So I want to ask you today as we close this question. Are you caught up in the spirit of the age where there's lots of meanness and unkindness and tearing people down and, and fighting with people and judging people and you're of this tribe and I'm of that tribe. Are you caught up into that? Because if you are, Jesus prayed for you 2,000 years ago that you would lay down your anger, lay down your frustration, lay down your yeah, but, lay down um, your correct opinion and lay it down. It's not of God that you're angry and frustrated and you're just mad. God's favor is not on you. Today, say, Lord, I want to work and serve with other Christians. That you're caught up into this Trinitarian love, caught up into this Trinitarian union. That, Lord, you're going around from this day forward, no rocks in your pockets. And folks at Woodside, here's God's vision for us as brothers and sisters as we come into this church Sunday after Sunday. We're glad to be here. It's a family reunion week after week. 
Hopefully some of you will bring food time to time, but it's a family reunion. And in the halls, you're just like looking at people and maybe smiling at them. Great to see you. Or maybe introducing yourself to them because that's your brother or sister in the Lord. Hello, that we just like, great to see you. And then when we come to worship and sing songs, even though I may not like singing so much, man, these are my brothers. We're praising the one who finished the work for us. Oh, this is good. And then the teaching of God's word. Lord, speak to me. Yeah, you can speak to that person right there and that person there. But speak to me. Oh, Lord, help me. Jesus calls us to a different way of living. I'm going to ask you to take just a moment now once again to bow your heads. And would you say, Lord, I want to do your will. Lord, I want your favor on me. And I don't know where everybody is. I don't know what your response has been. But today, would you say from this day forward, Lord, I want to live out your prayer for me, the vision. Oh, Lord, help me to listen. Maybe God's calling you to forgive someone today. What's God saying to you?